some early, early days in Jenna and I's marriage with little babies. And we had our, our first little house, uh, and it was just this tiny little house on a little tiny dirt road, and it flooded about twice a year. That's a true story because the road was so bad that the rains would come and wash out the creek and would have, you know, water like up to our knees in the garage. And it was just, it was your first house. And, you know, you remember your first house, your first apartment, all the little kids and corks and, and whatnot. And I remember on occasion, uh, late at night, I was um, one of those young dads, and, and I'm not just being self-deprecating here, I, but I was really bad with babies. Um, I think I've made up some ground with teenagers. Like, I, I, I've done better, but, um, and your babies, I love to hold them, and, I, you know, like 35, 40 seconds, and then it's like, okay, cool, that was fun, because um, I just don't know what to do after that. Like, I'm just not sure what to do with this thing. I'm happy to change the diaper, not yours, but I'm happy to change my own kids' diapers, uh, but beyond that, I was a little bit lost with babies. And there were many occasions where late at night, I would walk into the little baby room where the little baby bassinet was, and I would find Jen standing over a crib and singing for our kids. Um, Sometimes just like, you know, row, row, row your boat stuff. Sometimes really spiritual stuff. She's a pastor's wife, so it usually had to be really spiritual. Um, God is watching. That's a joke. You can laugh. (laughs) And she was singing over our kids. And, and uh, I just get this picture today um, that God is singing over you. Amen. Amen. Like, like he sings over a little child. And uh, it's pretty hard to have anybody or anything sing over you in judgment. Imagine that. Row, row, row your boat, you stupid little kid. You know, I mean, sorry, the little kids in the room. He's just the father singing over his kids. And it leads me to the first of many questions this morning. Um, And the first is this, why are you here? I don't mean in like the existential, like why am I on earth question. And that is a valuable one to answer, but that's not for this next 28 minutes. Why are you here? And, and I don't even mean necessarily in this room. I, I mean, uh, maybe even a bit more specifically than this particular hour-long gathering, but why are you here in Disciples Church? And whatever your reason for being part of Disciples Church, let me start by saying this unequivocally and as clearly as I can. I am so glad you are. I'm so glad you're here for whatever reason you're here. Uh, I'm glad that you're here. For a number of us, we have been walking this journey together in community for nearly 15 years. Um, And I know my math is bad, but for those who've been around the whole time, you get the math. We're going to celebrate 13 years as a church in just a couple of weeks. And so, you know, I get a little sentimental as we approach that anniversary date every year. And sometimes look around the leadership table and think, gosh, we, we did it again. Like, let's get the band back together, you know, that we made it happen once again. We've been through loss together. I have wept with many of you in hospital rooms and bedsides. Many of you have walked with one another through addiction and through sobriety and through relapse and through addiction and through sobriety and relapse and recovery and victory. 
We've celebrated milestones together. How many Papa Murphy's pizzas have we eaten at each other's kids' birthday parties is a number only God could count. How many hot and readies have we had just after a soccer game, exhausted and hot and sweaty? A lot. We've partied at weddings. We've applauded at baby dedications. And we've cheered for each other's and our children's baptisms. You see, I would argue with some pretty high confidence that you are not here in this church because of our excellent preaching. And you're not here because of the great music. You're not here for the kids' ministry. You're not here for the emotions you feel or the gifts you're given for having attended. All of those things are fine and well and good and have their place in the universe, but you're likely not here for any of that specifically. After all, if you were here for any of those things, you would have found them better delivered at another place in town. If I'm learning anything over all these years of leading alongside of you and living life victoriously and sometimes in great failure together, I'm learning that those who entrust their spiritual life to the care and community of Disciples Church generally do for a combination of just a couple of reasons. One, we're learning to hear God's voice together. And it just comes up over and over and over again. Maybe somewhat because of the the kind of people disciples attracts. And I know that we're wildly diverse and different, but one thing we seem to all have in common is a deep desire to hear God's voice speak. Atheists and fundamentalists alike love and long to hear God speak. And a second reason, we desire to at least experience the life of a missionary the life of a missionary. After nearly 13 years as a church, God's begun to refine our work in recent years as a church. And we are, um, as Tita uh, from Guatemala tells us, we walk by this little tiny chili pepper and she, we, in Guatemala City and we'll walk by it. She always points it out to us when we're there. And says, That's Discipulio Church. She goes, very small, very spicy. And I always laugh at that, you know, think I'll take that, you know, Uh, I'll take that. We got to kind of hone in the vision. What are we going to pursue as a people of God? Uh, and, And that means the painful reality that in pursuing some things, we can't pursue all things. And that some things we'd like to pursue, we don't get to pursue. There are things that I, as your friend, and as your pastor, and as a husband and a dad of four kids, I wish we pursued, and we don't. And Jen and I have had to grieve those things. We have had to raise our kids in a church that at times was not what we wanted it to be. That's a reality of being in a Christian community. It's tough, right? Those of y'all who've been around a long time are like, oh boy, yeah. You know, um, we've sat through some seasons. But we're pursuing worship at a deep and meaningful level. We're not just singing what's hot on the radio this month. After all, we'd only know two songs if that were the case, so. 
my monthly Kalof swipe. Um, we're pursuing global partnerships, especially in Guatemala. Not only in Guatemala, but especially. We're pursuing local compassion and we're planting more and more churches. All this month, we dig into this call on our church's life and how God might be nudging you as an individual to join with us as a church family to take our next steps for the sake of the world. Turn with me to Acts chapter 13, if you would. A very familiar passage to those who've been around a while. Um, But turn there with me, and as you uh, get situated, let me pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, you have desires for these next 20 minutes, and uh, we want to cooperate with them. So, um, God, may I say only the things you desire for your people to hear, and may our minds be quick to process what it is your spirit is saying to us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Among the prophets and the teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, who was called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manian, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, which is a separate parenthetical for friend of a bad dude, and Saul. One day, these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work for which I've called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid hands on them and sent them on their way. Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salami, not really, but Greg's just back from Italy, so we're going to talk about Italian things. Um, The town of Salami, God's disappointing me right now because I totally lost my space. Uh, He's like, why are you doing that? Uh, The town of Salami, they went to the Jewish synagogue and preached the word of God. John Mark was with them, their assistant. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Verse 7, he had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. And the governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he looked at the sorcerer in the eye and he said, you son of the devil. You got a little scared there until I said devil, right? Uh, You son of the devil. Full of every sort of deceit and fraud and enemy of all that is good. Will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid a hand of punishment upon you and you'll be struck blind and you will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. And when the governor saw what happened, he became a believer. 
for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. If question number one today is, why are you here? Question number two in my mind, and um, the dots may not connect easily, but the second question is, how far are you willing to go to hear God's voice? How far are you willing to go to hear God's voice? In these opening verses, we get a, a snapshot of a room wildly diverse, ethnic diversity, political diversity, socioeconomic diversity, theological diversity. Some people loved masks and others did not. They were all in there. You get what I'm getting at. And in the midst of all of that diversity and difference and disagreement, they were praying and fasting together fervently together. And one of the questions that came up for us as a leadership team Tuesday night as we studied this text together was a brilliant question, which simply was, how long do you think they were fasting and praying before they heard the Holy Spirit speak? Scriptures don't really tell us. Uh, there, there's a few different ways we can kind of unpack that based on some of the re religious practices that were common in that day and, and some of the ways in which people did it. But the, the bottom line is we, none of us really know. But it does raise a question. If the goal is to hear God's voice, and if prayer and fasting seems to precede hearing God's voice, what is the formula to hear God's voice? Somebody provocatively mentioned on Tuesday night, well, I just wish there was a simple formula to hear God's voice. I'm a process person. I like it to be in order. And I, in the way that I think God has made me, snarkily responded, well, there is actually uh, a pretty simple template. Uh, there is actually a way. see, it's fairly early in the life of Christianity as we pick up the story here. Like they're just figuring out how do we follow Jesus in a world where Jesus isn't actually walking around town with us. They, they remembered back to a time in the not so distant past when the only way you followed Jesus, which is a sort of shorthand we use in Christian circles now, but it like actually meant following him back then. And I don't mean that as a slight on the way we follow him now. I just mean it literally meant following him. When Jesus got up and said, we're going into that house, there were women and men who said, where you go, I'm going. Why they always followed him, we don't know. But I'll tell you what, I bet he responded, I'm so glad you're following me. Now you got a little irritated at times. Like I'm not just here to do miracles and, and you know, tap dance for you. I've come to preach the kingdom. But he was always glad they were with him. And think back to the 40 days in between Christ's resurrection and his ascension to heaven. The scriptures in Acts 1 tell us that the disciples and those who were following Jesus saw him on a fairly regular basis. He would appear to them. Acts chapter 1 says on one such occasion, Jesus comes into them and says, stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Stay together. And in Acts chapter 2, the very next chapter over, 
The people are all together. And the Holy Spirit falls on them and they begin to speak each other's language. They're all in town for a religious festival. There's many different religions in town. And they start speaking each other's language to each other, what God wanted them to hear as if God's people are to be God's voice to one another. So by the time we arrive at Acts chapter 13, a bunch has happened. And they're fasting and praying together. And there is little doubt in their mind at that point that they will hear God speak. They're following the formula, guys. What's the formula to hear God speak? Well, first we must answer the question, how far are you willing to go to hear it? And just be honest. Well, I'm going to, you know, read my version verse of the day. And, um, you know, Jesus, you've got 38 seconds to speak to me. Now, sometimes you will, and that's lovely and beautiful. Other times you go, I got to hear you speak, God. I'm going uh, to drive up the top of a mountain and sit under a tree till I hear you speak. Wonderful. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. But the question is not so much, how do I hear God speak? The question is, how far are you willing to go to hear him speak? What would we give up as a community of faith? As you well know, I meet with a lot of atheists these days, which is just like the goofiest and wackiest thing ever for a guy who has no atheistic tendencies whatsoever. And I learn from my atheist friends all the time. My atheist friends at times are teaching me new things about how to follow Jesus. People who don't follow Jesus are teaching me how to follow him. You know what it is? Because most of my atheist friends have come to a conclusion that if God doesn't speak to me, it means he's not real. And I kind of love that because it puts the onus, I gotta hear you speak, God. Nothing else will do. Nothing else will do but your voice. I've got to hear your voice, God. And if I don't hear your voice, what lengths am I willing to go to hear it? God's voice is heard most commonly in community. Again, listen, I I love a silence and solitude retreat. Actually, that's a lie. I don't really love it. It's really good for me to do that every now and again. (laughs) Um, But what I do love is I love driving up to the mountains and sitting on somebody's borrowed deck because I can't afford one um, and listening to the pine trees whistle all day long with just me in a journal and listening for God. And it's pretty common that I hear from him when I do that. And some of you love to sing songs or to pray prayers or to sing over your babies in their crib and you hear God speak in those moments and I celebrate all of that. But in scripture and in my experience as your friend and pastor, God speaks most commonly through the community. The mountaintop moments, hearing the whistling tree whisper God's voice to me is beautiful and wonderful and should never be made little of. But we are designed to hear God speak through our community every day. The question is, how far would you go to hear him speak? 
And the how far you would go and the how far I would go means entrusting your life to another. It means humbling ourselves. It means divorcing ourselves from our rugged individualism and our lack of leaning on anyone else. Well, I got burned one time or all people are bad or whatever. At the core of our existence, can't we all agree that hearing God's voice is the mountaintop? Nothing casts out fear like Jesus walking out on water and stopping a storm. Nothing removes shame like Jesus at the well at high noon with a woman who's been divorced, casting out shame. Nothing comforts trauma and grief like God's whisper reminding us, I will never forsake you. I will always be with you. The fact that this is done most commonly in community is reason enough for why we as a church partner with any church planter we can find whose desire it is to help people hear the voice of God. So we partner with planters who don't think like us and who don't vote like us and who don't read the scriptures like us, but who say, Jesus is Lord and Savior, and I just want to help people in this town over here hear the voice of God. And to that, we as a church go, what do you need? What can we do? We're a little chili pepper, but man, let's make salsa. Recently, I've spent several hours with a couple of different families who I love dearly, both of which you've left Disciples Church in recent years. The first of those families, it was a bit of a slow backing away from community and from faith. Uh, they went from being here all the time to just showing up for the big days. They went from leading particular aspects of church to just kind of showing up to just being sporadic. Then catastrophe hit their family in a bit of a rapid fire succession. And they didn't quite know at that point after a backing away how to ask the church to be involved and to help. And we as a church failed and didn't quite know how to make ourselves available. And so the awkwardness set in and the distance happened. As the years passed, their desire for community waned. But most importantly, in my mind, their interest in living as a missionary vanished. A second family was highly involved with our church until COVID hit. And when we all went home to watch church on TV, they did the same. And they tell me that in the early weeks, they circled up around a laptop in their particular case and they watched the service on TV and they held phones in their hand that had Facebook open and commented their prayer requests in the comment thing. Remember doing that? Oh my gosh, what a janky world that was. <laughs> and they told me, truth be told, in those early weeks, as janky as the experience was, it was really nice because they didn't have to get dressed anymore to go to church. They didn't have to brush their teeth before church. And then they said something uh, really hesitantly. They told me, I'm really sorry. I go, it's really fine. Like, I love you. It's all good. They said, but really, honestly, you know what the best part of it was? I go, I think I do, but go ahead. Let me, I'm ready. You know, it's like you're just waiting to get kicked. 
They said what was really great was not being asked to do anything for once. It's not what I expected them to say. Both of these two families uh, are probably representative of all of us to some extent. So there, there ought be no cast judgment upon the two families because they're representative. They're caricatures of who we all are. But they're both looking at the same issue from different angles. And the issue simply is this. When church for us ceases to be a missionary endeavor, you will slowly back away from community. Oof. Think back to your own life. Think about times when you were really engaged in church. I suspect it's because you were playing a role. You were serving in some way. You were leading in some way. Your gifts were being activated in some way. And there are seasons in life where it's just like, yeah, I just need to retreat for a bit. I get that. It, it, that's understandable. But over a prolonged period of time, when the church ceases to be a missionary endeavor for us, we will only ever back away from it. Let me be even more clear. Church is not designed to feed you. Anything for that matter. I mean, I, somebody came up to me this morning and said, hey, where's the donuts? I said, I don't know. Why didn't you pick them up? <laughs> now, I was being snarky because that person happens to be one of my children. And so, so y'all can ask me, you're like, geez, gosh, man, buddy. And it was one of my kids. Church is not designed to feed us. Church is not designed to fill us. Church is not designed to provide for us religious goods and services of which we then consume. This is tough, guys. This is tough. Jen and I wept and mourned the reality that we were going to raise four teenagers in a church with no youth ministry. It was really hard. It was really hard. It was really hard to see my kids go to other churches so they could be part of a youth group. Really hard. Now, we, to some extent, had the, the benefit, I guess, that there wasn't an option to just jump ship and go find the religious goods and services we wanted. And I'll tell you what, that's been the greatest gift we could have ever asked for because we had to attend to what was going on in our soul. Like, what is church really actually for? Church for us is a missionary endeavor. And like, we couldn't lead the youth ministry because like, it would have been called home. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, hey, we're gonna like host a youth night. The kids would be like, um, all right, we call that dinner around here. You see, after nearly 25 years as a pastor, oh my goodness, I got old, and, uh, and 13 years as your pastor, I've watched some things happen over and over and over again that are no longer coincidences to me, but they are now things I'm rather confident in. The moment you stop seeing yourself as a missionary in this church is the moment you will lose your urgency to be part of this church. Now, being a missionary in this church may mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. Um, so it, it does not mean you need to now sign up to preach every third week. Uh, though if you're interested, 
Being a missionary in this church can simply mean that when I cross the doors on Sunday, I'm saying, God, what conversations have you ordained for me to have today where I can be a joyful, hope-filled human? Versus walking in and sitting down in my chair and scrolling the bulletin and waiting for the show to start. Now, there are Sundays where you're like, listen, I'm cooked, and it's been a week, and I'm sitting back, and it's me and Jesus. Hallelujah. But if our, our general mind frame can switch a bit from I'm here to get and yet here to give, it will change it all. Here's the thing. God's people are sent ones. God sent them. The Holy Spirit sent them. We see it over and over and over again in Acts 13. Verse 3. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid hands on them and sent them. Verse 4. So Barnabas and Saul were sent by the Holy Spirit. God sent Adam and Eve to the garden. He sent Abraham and Sarah to a new land they didn't even know the name of. He sent Israel to the wilderness and to Babylon. He sent Jonah to Nineveh. He sent David to a cave. He sent his son to a cross and he has sent us to the world. You are a sent one. If you have chosen to follow Jesus, the only lens with which he sees you is a sent one. And so when we operate as one who is here to get, our life unravels in terms of making sense. We are indeed sent ones. And finally, he has sent you with an astonishing message. The message you carry about the kingdom of God will astonish people if you speak it. Now, your message will not be Paul's message. This message of blindness and punishment and calling out, I mean, we can get into Paul another day. But you may recall in Acts chapter 9, Paul has his own blindness. And I would maybe argue that Paul's calling out judgment upon this person, but Paul knows in blindness, he's getting a gift like Paul got. Because Paul knows that in his own season of blindness is when he began to really understand what it would be to follow Jesus. What is the astonishing message about the kingdom God is sending you with to share it with others? You see, so often we focus on the what that we think church could be or we think about what church should do or where we should go. And and let me be clear, there's some value in wrestling with these concepts, but Pastor Dan said it beautifully on Tuesday night as we were studying together. He said, it is not the what or the how, but it is the who. So last week I was uh, texted a photo. There was no caption. There was no explanation. It was just a photo. And it was a photo of uh, one of y'all. You know who you are. I won't mention it. But uh, one of you uh, taking a selfie with one of my kids who was out hanging out socially with one of my kids. And I like just teared up immediately. I'm such a blubbering dad these days. My kids are leaving the house and Jen's got to deal with me all the time. And uh, my text back to them, I had to look it up this morning, but my text back to them was, this gives me more joy than you could ever imagine. Seeing one of you just hanging out with my kid, it's like, 
Okay, we got some things wrong in life. We screwed our kids up. They're going to need therapy like yours too. But man, my kids are hanging out with grown-ups in the church we planted. Some things are going right. So Tuesday night as our leadership team sat out on the patio at our favorite little dive bar down the way, I uh, entered into a conversation with them and just began to ask, hey, who, who do you hang out with one-on-one from our church? And uh, essentially called on everybody around the table. And I don't know, there were, what, eight or nine of us, maybe 10 of us around that table. And just began to hear story after story after story about people in our church, leaders around the leadership table, and the one-on-one hangouts they're having with you. And I just went, yes, that's missionary stuff right there. That's community happening. We're a community of people trying to figure out how to hear God's voice and try to experience this missionary life. And I'm so grateful you're part of it. And I'm so grateful we get to partner even with church planters to help people in other cities come to hear about Jesus, come to hear his voice, to send them out to other places so that when the storms of life hit, I pray that we as a church are found together for the sake of the world. Pray with me. Father, Son, and Spirit, to you alone be glory and majesty and honor and power. And God, I have watched so many times and you have watched infinitely more times in the life of our church that when your people act as missionaries, the atmosphere changes. And God, this is why our pursuit, you know, to plant additional churches has been so strong in us. Because we've watched our own lives get changed in a little church plant that Most places, most people even in our own city don't even know exists. But our lives have been changed in this community. And so we say yes to you, God, for the next church planters that come to us that say, hey, we want to plant a church too. How we can serve them. God, we commit to go to great lengths to hear your voice, to to remain in community, for we see in Scripture that that is the most common way to hear you speak. Move in these closing moments even, we pray, Jesus. Amen. I'd like to offer a few next steps as we prepare to close in worship. Uh, Just a couple really practical things. One, uh, let me encourage you to meet up. Uh, Let me encourage you to do it like this week or next. Maybe this week's already booked for you, but maybe next week. And these can be really difficult. I've met with a couple of you even in this last week and encouraged this sort of thing. And, and I sometimes get this look of like, well, how, how would I even do that? I don't even know what to do. H- how about this? How about you meet up with somebody and go, hey, we go to the same church and I don't know you that well. Um, can we grab a coffee? And would you tell me your story? You don't have to talk about politics. You don't have to talk about your view on existential quantum physics. Just, I just want to hear your story. Sit down over a coffee and say, I'd like to hear your story. A couple things happen to this. Number one, it ain't about you, right? And it just helps us reset internally that sometimes we call a coffee and the reason we call it coffee is because we want to talk about ourselves or where we're going or what we're doing. That's okay. There's a place for that. But what if we just began by saying, I want to hear your story. Tell me your story. 
you sit back over coffee for an hour and listen to an hour of their story, whatever they feel like telling you. Uh, two, let me encourage you to continue to lean in. Church, we see it as a leadership team and we just celebrate that we see you beginning to lean in again after some of the most difficult years a lot of our adulthood lives have faced. So continue to lean in. Maybe the next step for you is to commit to a life group. We've got those starting in a couple of weeks. Maybe the next step for you is to find a place to serve around here. Maybe you tasted today's coffee and said, oh, this is awful. I could do better. I tell you, a half-trained monkey could do better. Uh, maybe for you, it's a, a renewed commitment to this weekend gathering. I don't know what that might be, but continue to lean in. Fan to flame what's happening in your, uh, in your already demonstrated leaning in. Okay, so I'm not asking you to do a new thing. I'm saying in the ways you're already beginning to lean back in, lean in, keep doing it, keep leaning in. And then finally, pursue it. We've got our newest church plant uh, led by Vince and Jesse Redinger. Many of you got to meet them over the last couple weeks when they were with us who are going to Utah County to plant. You can uh, look right in your Uversion program and get a link to what they're doing and get an update on them. Now, let me ask you to do this, to pursue it, the simplest thing in the world. Join their prayer list. <laughs> they're gonna send you an email on a regular basis. And let me just encourage you, when the email hits your inbox, just pray for it. And see what God might speak in that. Not pushing you to do anything monstrous or crazy, uh, but consider that. Let's stand together and worship.